following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church of Erie, Illinois. Uh, good morning, uh, E Free Church family. It's uh, certainly good to be with you this morning and a blessing to be able to share uh, with you. And so this morning I have kind of a, a hybrid uh, between a, a kind of a combination of a, a sermon and a presentation kind of mixed together. So uh, I'm just going to kind of spend some time sharing about what I get to do in Vietnam, and then we'll uh, tie it into our Romans 10 passage as well. So I don't know if our clicker is going to work today, so if it, if it doesn't, you're going to hear me say next slide 24 times, but uh, <laughs> hope that'll be okay. So uh, yeah, just to, to start off with here... Um, Next slide. I will give a kind of just a brief overview of the nation of Vietnam. And so I I moved there in 2017 and uh, spent my first term on the mission field uh, for four and a half years over there. And I was in the the south, uh, Ho Chi Minh City, formerly Saigon. And so uh, just the kind of the religious makeup of this nation, there's 97 million people in this country, and the nation itself is uh, kind of a, geographically, it's kind of tall and skinny, but uh, by way of land area, it's about the size of New Mexico. And so you have 97 million people living in uh, a place the size of the state of New Mexico. So there's a lot of people um, there. And about half would say that they don't have a religion, and then about 40% would say that they're Buddhist, 7% Roman Catholic, and then 2% Protestant Christian and then 1% other. And so, uh, but really kind of ancestral worship is, uh, is the religion of Vietnam. And ancestral worship is, is a, it's a, an interesting thing. Um, it's kind of common in Eastern nations, and specifically in Vietnam, basically almost every home will have uh, like an in-home altar, and it'll be a table about this, ta- this tall, uh, kind of just a wooden box, and usually on the inside of the box is some flashing lights, and on top of the box is pictures of deceased ancestors, Uh, and then in front of the box will be some incense to burn and some food uh, offerings that people will give to their deceased ancestors. So kind of the belief is that um, when parents pass away, uh, the, the next generation down who's still alive will worship them or will pray to them asking for luck and guidance and fortune and so on. And then they would also believe that they can help their deceased parents in the afterlife um, by giving food to the, the, the in-home altar. And so that's kind of practiced by the people who say they don't have a religion, as well as the Buddhists and some of the Roman Catholics as well, um, and some of the others. So, so basically the Protestant Christians are the only ones that, that don't do this uh, ancestral worship in, in Vietnam. And so that's really kind of the, uh, by way of religion, that's kind of what grips uh, the people. Okay. So within those 97 million people, there are 54 distinct ethnic groups. So you have the one majority people group, which is the Kin, the Kin Vietnamese, so about 86% of the population. And then you have 53 distinct ethnic minority groups, and which is about 14% of the population. And the top picture there is uh, uh, a group in the north, and the middle, the bottom picture is a group in the central part of the country. And so a few of these ethnic minority groups are majority Christian. And so they've been reached over the past few decades by, uh, by, by missionaries. And so now they, uh, most of them are followers 
of Christ. But most of, or some of these ethnic minority groups are unreached people groups. And an unreached people group, so there's kind of a few definitions. The most technical definition is a group of people with a shared ethnicity and language and history and social and cultural norms, but without an indigenous self-supporting Christian church. And then kind of a more basic definition is uh, a group of people who, without a church presence, uh, without the Bible in their language, without a local Christian to share the gospel with them, or, and who have maybe never heard of the name of Jesus. And then the most basic definition is any group of people that's less than 2% Christian would be considered an unreached people group. So sometimes people ask the question, you know, what, what's the difference between the lost in, in the United States and the unreached around the world? And really it just comes down to, to access, access to Christianity. And so the, and this is just kind of my my, my designation here, the lost and the unreached. Both are unsaved. Uh, both are, are equally unsaved, but kind of the difference is, is access. So the lost, um, they can buy a Bible at, at a bookstore or online. The unreached, uh, they probably don't have a Bible in their language. The lost, uh, they live within driving distance or even walking distance to a church. They, they drive by a church on a daily basis, but the unreached, they don't live anywhere near a church. They've never seen a church building or a, or a group of people that call themselves a church. The lost, uh, they, they live close enough to, to other Christians that we can share the gospel with them without crossing linguistic or cultural barriers. But the unreached, uh, there's no Christians around them to share the gospel with them. And if a Christian is going to share the gospel with them, they have to cross linguistic and cultural barriers. And then fourthly, uh, the lost, they, they at least know something about Jesus Christ, where as the unreached, uh, potentially they've never even heard the name of Jesus. So Romans 10 is our passage this morning. I'm going to kind of camp out here uh, for a little bit. And so this, uh, this passage, I think it, it kind of makes me want to, to ask a question. And it's kind of a, a heavy question. And maybe you've thought about it, maybe you haven't. But the question is, uh, what happens to people when they die if they've never heard the name of Jesus? That's a tough question. So what happens to people if they're born in a part of the world where Christianity doesn't exist and they never have the opportunity to hear about Christ or the, or the, found, or the salvation that's found in his name? What happens to them when they die? And so, again, it's, it's a heavy question, but I think that in order to answer this question, we have to do two things. Number one, we have to go to Scripture and see what the Word of God says. And then from there, we really have to spend time reflecting upon what the Word of God says. Because there is no one verse or even one passage that directly speaks to this question. But when, when we think about the nature of God and the nature of humanity and the nature of salvation— and then we, re- we reflect upon this question. We, we, we kind of see it brought to light. And in that reflection, we let the word of God uh, take root within us so that it, it affects our, our thinking and our reasoning and our beliefs and our subsequent actions. And so some people will say that, you know, if, if people live their whole life and they never hear about Jesus, then they'll, they'll go to heaven. But I think when we, 
when we kind of dive into uh, that position or that statement, we, we see some problems. Because if people go to heaven because they've never heard the name of Jesus, then the worst thing we can do is proclaim the name of Jesus. Because if people go to heaven because they've never heard the name of Jesus, then we should just keep our mouths shut and not share the gospel and not proclaim, proclaim Christ. Because if people go to heaven because they've never heard the name of Jesus, then as soon as we start proclaiming the gospel message, then at best there's a 50-50 chance. You know, there's, there's a chance that they will uh, accept uh, Christ and be saved, or there's an, another chance that they will reject Christ and not be saved. And so I think that if people go to heaven because they've never heard the name of Jesus, then that kind of makes evangelism counterproductive. And it, that would mean that evangelism is actually that which doesn't save. If people are bound for heaven because they've never heard the name of Jesus, and then we proclaim the name of Jesus, then all of a sudden they've gone from assurance to not assurance. So I, I think that there's some inherent flaws in that position. So I think, again, we need to rely upon Scripture when we come to, to answering that question. And there's something called the Romans Road, and, and maybe you've heard of it, um, but basically it's a, it's a selection of a few verses in the book of Romans that kind of clearly present the gospel and then clearly call people to respond uh, in faith to the gospel. And so in the Romans Road, we start with uh, Romans 3.23, which says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All people whether they know about Jesus or don't know about Jesus, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then next we move to Romans 6.23, which says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is uh, salvation through Christ Jesus. And then from there, we move to Romans 5, verse 8, which says, uh, But God demonstrates his own love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Um, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then lastly, we go to Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 9, which says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So these are the propositional truths uh, that Scripture declares. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if we confess with our, with our mouths, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So in light of this, we ask the question again. What happens to a person who lives their whole life never hearing about Jesus, never having the opportunity to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord or believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead? So Paul kind of addresses this as he continues in Romans chapter 10. And so I'll, we'll read the passage again, starting in verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Verse 17, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. And so I think that as we go to Scripture to contemplate uh, this question, and as we reflect upon what Scripture says, we see the importance and the urgency of making Christ known to the unreached around the world, and, and, and really in, in to all people uh, on the earth. And as a church, you are doing this. As a church, you are being obedient to God and to his word. As a church, you are playing your part and making Christ known here in Erie and to the ends of the earth. And not that my commendation means much, but I want to commend uh, Erie Evangelical Free Church for, for what you're doing. Uh, not only here in Erie, but also around the world. And as you know, I'm, I'm just one of the ones that gets to uh, go to the unreached, uh, being sent by and supported by faithful followers of Christ and faithful churches of Christ. And I don't know how long this season will last. It's been four and a half years, and I mean, I anticipate another term on the mission field, so it could be a few more years, it could be a few more decades, I don't know, but I just hope and pray that, um, that this, this passage here in Romans will, will motivate us uh, you as a church and, and, and me and the others that you support as we get to be the ones um, sent by you to, to go to the least reached peoples of the earth. But I pray that this passage will motivate us to, to glorify Christ uh, where we are here in Erie and also to the ends of the earth. So back to Vietnam. So um, on the screen here is just a few of the unreached people groups. There's maybe 20 or 30 of the ethnic minority groups that are considered unreached. And so the ones here on the screen are the ones that I've had more personal uh, interaction with. And so even the kin, even the Vietnamese, even the, the majority people group, uh, 82 million people, but only 1.4% Christian. And so technically they are considered an unreached people group because they're less than 2% Christian, even though... 1.4% of 82 million is still a good number of people. It's a, it's a small percentage. And then I'm going to share a little bit more about each of these other groups on the screen as well, but they're just listed here, as well as the, the number of people living in Vietnam that are of these ethnic groups, and then the percentage of which that are followers of Jesus. So. All right, so... Um, the top red box is the northern highlands, and, the, and the, the middle red box is the central highlands, and this is where most of the ethnic minority people groups live. Uh, the majority people group, they live in the bigger cities and along the coast, 
And then over the past couple thousand years, the, the smaller people groups have been kind of pushed into the countryside uh, up into the mountains as well. And so the specific groups that I've had more interaction with, this is where they are located. Um, a few of them in the northern highlands, one in the central highlands, and then the Cham people group is way in the deep, deep southwest part of the country uh, on the border with Cambodia. So the Thai and the Num, uh, they're kind of, they're very, um, they're two distinct people groups, but they're very similar to each other, and they live north and east of Hanoi. And so both of these pictures are in a Thai village, and this is kind of walking into the Thai village, and this is the, the Thai-style house, which is raised up on stilts. Um, and then inside the house, this is where they would do kind of their animistic-type religions, animistic-type worship, which is kind of appeasing um, various spirits that they would believe in. Uh, and you can see about 2 million people in the Thai, a million people in the Num, and only, uh, they're estimating there's only a few Christians within them. And then the Sing Moon and the La Chi. So uh, zero believers, as far as we know, in the Sing Moon and the La Chi, uh, except for in this picture, the first four people, uh, they are Hmong. They are Hmong believers, and I'll talk more about the Hmong in a moment. And then the guy in the gray T-shirt is a, a ministry partner from Ho Chi Minh City as well named Vu, and we do a lot of work together. And then the guy next to me is, as far as he knows, he is the first and only Lachi Christian. And so he became a, a believer a few years ago. And as of right now, he's the only believer of the Lachi people. But hopefully in the future, there will be uh, more Lachi Christians. Uh, the Sing Moon is another people group that's physically close to uh, the Lachi that have no believers as well. So a quick story. This picture, um, uh, the guy in the blue shirt. This is his house, and we, me and Vu went to visit them, and we stayed in his house, and it's a, it's a Hmong village, and we walked into the village, and there's, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 houses in the village. Um, the, the house is one, one room, and if, if you walk in to the left, there was like several large bags of rice, and then there was also a bed in this corner. There was another bed in this corner, and then like a, a kitchen uh, in this corner, but it wasn't a kitchen with with running water, um, it was just basically a, a fire pit. And so there is no running water in any of the houses. Uh, there's one freshwater well that people can use to prepare food or wash dishes or clean themselves and so on. Um, so there's no running water, but there's electricity. And so in this village, uh, they all have smartphones. And so um, dirt floors and no running water, but they have um, Samsung phones and different things. So kind of a, a unique aspect of, of, uh, of the countryside in Vietnam right now, so, okay. Uh, the Cham and the Ro Mum. So both of these pictures are the Cham people group, which is Vietnam's only Muslim people group. Uh, and I think there is some connection with like Malaysia and, and um, uh, Indonesia, uh, kind of the more of the, the Southeast Asian uh, Muslim nations, and so somehow there's a group in southern part of Vietnam that is majority Muslim, and so I and a friend were visiting this village one day and kind of doing some prayer walking and talking to people, and we were standing outside of a school, just kind of looking in, and, and some, some random guy said, hey, you can go in, and so we looked at him and 
looked at the school and just decided to go in. And so we walked into the school, and um, we didn't see any teachers. I think they were on lunch break or something, but the students were in their classroom, and they were excited to see uh, a goofy-looking foreigner, and, and so kind of invited us in, and, and they were studying Arabic, studying the Quran in their, uh, in their classroom. So. Okay, so back to the Hmong. Um, the Hmong, 1.4 million people, about 20% are followers of Christ. And so that's a, good, that's a good percentage. So the bottom two pictures here are two different uh, Hmong churches in the countryside. And you can see on the left that uh, the men are sitting on the left and the women are sitting on the right. Kind of a unique feature. And then the other picture is just a group of people all together. Uh, the top picture, um, the first four guys in the picture are Hmong believers. And so we're working with them to kind of equip them and encourage them to be evangelists and church planters uh, amongst the other unreached people groups that they live physically close to. One of the challenges is language. Um, the education system across the country is in Vietnamese. And so most people do speak Vietnamese, but in the home, these 53 distinct ethnic minority groups are each going to have their own language. And so they can communicate with each other in Vietnamese. It's just not their heart language. It's not the language that they um, prefer to, to use. So language is, is still a barrier, but uh, we can work through that by speaking Vietnamese. And so again, kind of one of the things that we're doing is uh, equipping, teaching, and training up the Hmong to be evangelists and church planters uh, in the physical proximity in the, in the geographic areas where they, where they live close to these other unreached people groups. All right, so even way back in the Old Testament, God was making known, making it known that he would be known, that he would be worshiped and praised um, all across the earth. So God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. And may the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. And I think the psalmist that wrote these uh, verses, you know, they, they genuinely desired Christ to be known amongst all the peoples of the earth. Uh, but he probably didn't know that this desire would mean the thousands of people groups across the earth that would someday eventually uh, come and bring Christ praise and glory. So a real brief overview of four and a half years on the mission field. The first year was primarily focused on language. Um, I started in a, a university uh, taking group classes, but it wasn't ideal because I was in this group class with maybe six or ten other foreigners also trying to learn Vietnamese. Usually it was guys from uh, Japan or, or South Korea uh, or Taiwan, and so I was speaking broken Vietnamese with uh, another guy who was speaking broken Vietnamese, and it just wasn't ideal. And so eventually I switched to more of a one-on-one -on -one language learning program um, with a really good friend named Nam, uh, who's a un university student, and his, his English was pretty good, and so we could, uh, I could learn Vietnamese with him. And then my second year uh, in the country, I had to get a part-time job teaching English. So basically, I had two options. It was either working in the public schools during the daytime hours or working for a private language center during the nights and the weekends. And so most ministry takes place on the nights and the weekends, so I ended up choosing to work for a company that hires foreigners uh, and then assigns them to public schools to do English language classes during the day. Um, it was definitely a challenge, and I 
did not particularly enjoy uh, the experience, but it, uh, the, good, the good thing was I got a two-year temporary residence card from teaching part-time for one year, and then I was able to renew that uh, once as well. And so I got four years of living in country with only one year of teaching. So it ended up being okay, but this is a 12th grade classroom, um, and every class has between 40 and 44 students in the classroom, small classrooms, and you got uh, students that are sitting right next to each other in, in, on these tables. Uh, classes are 90 minutes long with no breaks, and so it's hard as a teacher, it's hard as a student to be in a classroom for 90 minutes with no breaks, uh, with no air conditioning, and it's hot all the time, and so it wasn't ideal, it was a challenge, but I learned a lot from the experience, um, so there was some good that came out of it. And then, of course, um, at various times, we would do outreach to the unreached people groups, uh, sometimes in the north, sometimes in the central, sometimes in the south. And the picture here is in the Cham village, the Muslim people group, and they live right along uh, one of the branches of the Mekong River. And during the rainy season, the waters will get pretty high, and so all the houses are built on stilts. And I think that's, I don't know. Uh, and so one of the houses in the village on the stilts of, of the house, it said, you know, 2004, 2010, 2012. And so it had kind of the, the water level of how high the water got each year uh, during the, the rainy season. And then back in Ho Chi Minh City, back in the big city, uh, a lot of time was focused more on student ministry. And so when university students uh, come from the countryside, uh, they're basically, they're kind of on their own to find a place to live. Most of the universities don't have dormitories. And so the two guys in the top picture next to me in the red and in the blue, um, they are ministry partners with me. And so they, they rent this house, the first two pictures over here, they rent this house and they use it as a dormitory uh, for university students to, for male students to live. And they have to pay, pay just a little, a small amount to live there. And then they have to make their own meals and clean the house and so on. And so we would have uh, Bible studies and English clubs for, for these students. And about half are believers and half are not yet uh, believers. And then the other picture is just a group of, of, uh, of, of university students, a, a different group that I was doing a Bible study with. And they're all believers in that group. And so it was more of a discipleship-based group. And then just uh, general evangelism and discipleship, which was a lot easier before the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, people were willing to talk to people. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of going to, there's a park in the city center where young people would hang out. And so I could go there and talk to them and ask spiritual questions and, and see if uh, what they know about Christ or if they're interested in knowing more about Christ. And then the bottom picture there is a young man who is, uh, going to be a pastor. His dad is a pastor, and he's uh, in training to become a pastor as well. So it's been a blessing to, to work with him and to, to disciple him a little bit along the way as well. And then uh, when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, things had to move online. And so basically in 2020, um, there was only 4,000 total cases of COVID-19 throughout the year 2020. And I don't know exactly how that was possible. Um, some say it's because Vietnam closed the borders so quickly. I don't know, but uh, 2020 wasn't very, wasn't very bad. We could freely move about the country. Um, I just wasn't able to leave the country. I could leave the country, but if I left, I wasn't able to come back. Um, but inside the country, things were, were still pretty good. And then in 2021, with the Delta variant, when that moved in, uh, they really kind of clamped things 
down um, quite strictly. And so there was a, a 39-day period where um, I could not leave my apartment, um, not because I had COVID, but because there was a, a military-enforced stay-at-home order. And it was kind of crazy because um, there was rumors that there was going to be a, a, a stay-at-home order, but the government said, no, 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 we're not going to have a, you know, Ho Chi Minh City is not going to have a, a stay-at-home order. And then I remember it was Friday at noon, they announced uh, Sunday at 6 o'clock, we're going to start a, a military-enforced stay-at-home order. And so you can imagine, like, 8 million people immediately went to every grocery store and convenience store and, and cleared shelves just like that. And so it was, uh, it was not very pleasant. And then during those 39 days, um, my apartment complex had it organized where we could order food twice a week, and then whatever was available from our order would be delivered to us the next day. Uh, but basically, people weren't allowed to work. Um, and so food wasn't being transported from the countryside, like produce, fruits and vegetables, from the countryside into the big city. And so we weren't getting very much stuff uh, delivered to us throughout that time. So it was not very enjoyable. But after 39 days, uh, we were able to go buy our own groceries again. So. All right, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Uh, first, it's kind of hard to see with, with the words in the way, but the picture is from... Um, where I lived the first year in country that's about 200 meters away from my apartment, and you can kind of see the, the good contrast within the city. So in the middle there, you have a high-rise, modern apartment building coming up in the background, and then in the foreground, you have more of the traditional market-type uh, area and the traditional homes as well. But the Great Commission, Matthew 28, um, what Jesus said here and what Matthew wrote here, there's actually, I just learned this, there's actually um, one imperative verb. There's one command, and then there are three I-N-G verbs, uh, at least in, in the Greek. And so, basically, the, the command is not go. The command is make disciples. And so, Jesus' emphasis here is on making disciples. And so, it's as you are going, therefore... Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to, uh, to obey everything I have commanded you. So it's going and it's baptizing. Sorry, yeah. It's, it's going and it's baptizing and it's teaching, but the command is to make disciples. I think, so I think that the Great Commission can be fulfilled and is fulfilled wherever there are Christians as we go about our daily life uh, making disciples in some way. And it's just that... Um, not everyone goes to the ends of the earth, but uh, some people are sent there, and some people are the senders, uh, and some people are the goers. And, but in God's grand plan and great commission, it's all about making disciples wherever you are. And then Salt and Light Vietnam is kind of just kind of the name that we've given to our ministry. And so these two guys and a third guy who's not in the picture are more of the, the ministry partners that I do a lot of. Uh, work with. And so what I anticipate the next four years will look like is continuing to do outreach work amongst the unreached people groups, um, church planting, charity projects as needs arise, um, training and teaching church leaders, and then student ministry in Ho Chi Minh City, continuing with just evangelism and discipleship. And then Hope for Vietnam is, is a, a media ministry that will be accessible on smartphones, of course. And so even as people in the countryside have uh, smartphones, so they'll be able to access uh, this ministry to learn more about Christ and hopefully get connected to 
churches as well. And then uh, in the book of Revelation, John gets a little glimpse into heaven. And what he says is, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And so I think that what John saw here is he saw the Cham and he saw the Mung and he saw the Thai and he saw the Num. He saw people uh, from every people group on earth giving praise and worship and honor and glory to God in heaven. And so I think what this means is that even though as of right now, today, yes, there are unreached people groups uh, still in the world, but I think that eventually each and every one of these unreached people groups, there will be people in those groups who come to faith in Jesus Christ and who are in heaven uh, using their unique language to give glory and honor and praise to Christ. And so I think it's just motivation to say, you know what, like it's going to happen. Just uh, keep working, keep striving, keep doing, because God is at work and God has a good plan to reach all of the unreached people groups of the earth. And then lastly, um, as I think most of you guys know that I, I work for Pioneers, and I think you guys support others that work with Pioneers, and so it's just a, an amazing organization uh, that sends people to the least reached peoples on the earth, and so uh, kind of their tagline is partnering with local churches to equip and send missionaries to the least reached people groups on earth. So it was founded in 1979. Right now, there's about 3,200 missionaries serving on 335 teams uh, in 103 countries. And then these 3,200 missionaries are from 17 nations because there are 17 globalization bases. So this means um, someone from America can go to Vietnam or someone from Brazil can go to another country. Someone from South Africa can go to another country. And so there's 17 global mobilization bases of pioneers missionaries that are being sent out to the least reached peoples on the face of the planet. <clears throat> All right, well, I'll just close uh, with a word of thank you and then a word of, of prayer. So uh, I would just give a heartfelt thank you to, uh, to you guys as a church for loving me and supporting me and sending me uh, to be able to do uh, what I get to do and we're all in this together, and I hope and pray that I can be a blessing to you when I'm home and even when I'm over there uh, doing what I get to do. Um, all right, would you, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we, uh, we love you, God, and we worship you, and, and we know that you are holy and gracious and kind and merciful and loving, and uh, Father, we just want to know you more and live our lives with you more and more, and live our lives for you as well. And God, we just thank you for, uh, for what you're doing in each of our lives individually, for what you're doing in and through this church, just for the opportunity to, to know you and to praise you and to, uh, to strive for your glory. So God, I pray that you would continue to bless Pastor Jonathan and, uh, and the church here and each and every member, Lord, that they would continue to be a church that uh, makes you known here in Erie and to the ends of the earth as well. Uh, God, we love you, and we just pray that we can glorify you more and more, and that we would um, just make you known wherever we are. We love you, God, and we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Erie Evangelical Free Church podcast. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit us at erieefree.com.